we often play this game of who's the busiest. We work on one upping each other. And when we do that, it becomes this, this negative competition that, that nobody's winning. Hey, my name is Cheryl Witten, and this is the Aromatherapist Podcast. My newest book, Essential Oil Dilution Guide, is the antidote to confusing aromatherapy instructions and bad recipes. This is the book you need to undo everything you've learned on the internet. In this book, Essential Oil Dilution Guide, I explore how to use essential oils safely. You can learn with me about essential oils and allergic reactions, irritations and sensitizations, phototoxicity, methods of application, types of carrier oils, how to dilute by age and health condition, the right way to ingest essential oils, contraindications for pregnancy, epilepsy, children, and more, and the aromatherapy secret everyone wants to know, the blending formula you need to finally properly calculate your own DIY recipe or blend. Essential Oil Dilution Guide is available now on Amazon. My guest today is Dr. Kate Steiner, who is a burnout recovery coach and a founder of Lift Wellness Counseling. She holds a Master of Counseling and a PhD in Counselor Education and Supervision, and her practice is grounded in research-based Steiner Self-Reflective Sustainability and Wellness Model published in the Oracle Research Journal. She supports her clients from burnout to recovery by developing a self-reflective plan that identifies and prepares for burn events by addressing all areas of wellness. She's been a researcher in wellness and burnout for almost 20 years, and she's the author of the book, Burnout, A Guide for Every Professional to Identify, Prepare, and Recover Their Joy. So I talked to Dr. Kate today about the difference between compassion fatigue and burnout, and how to identify events in your life that are likely going to lead to burnout if they're not managed well. And she talks a lot about how to really just recover from those events and how to put a plan in place so that you can stop it from happening. I really love this approach to burnout. I think it's very important in the world that we live in to be proactive and we can't avoid stressful events. We're all going to have them. And sometimes we can't avoid stressful people either. And so it's just super important to know how to keep ourselves well by managing our own lives and figuring out what it is that we need personally in order to deal with stress in our life and to keep ourselves well. So I really had a great conversation with her and just love what she is teaching. So my friends, Dr. Kate Steiner. Hi, Kate. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So let's just dive right in. And I want to talk about your research background. So you have a specific methodology to burnout recovery that's been published uh, in a science journal. And so you've been kind of at this for a long time, like 20 years. Mm -hmm. So how did you start researching burnout? Yeah, thanks for that. So it really... For me, it started from a place of being more of a wellness researcher. So that is really where the interest started from. And that was even as an undergraduate student when I was working on my bachelor's degree, which was primarily focused in preventative programming and in those kinds of things. And I was working for a nonprofit at that time, uh, running a shelter for victims and survivors of domestic violence, sexual assault and stalking. And so I think that that was probably my first experience with the concept of burnout only. I really didn't understand or define it as burnout at the time. 
And then about eight years ago, I had a full on experience with burnout and finally realized that that's what was occurring for me. So was really challenged in my PhD program when I was working on that early on, I was being challenged in my job and wasn't feeling a lot of fulfillment from that. And I was in a really unhealthy relationship at the time. And all of those things kind of compounded and came together. And I look back at that and I I truly believe that I was the worst version Mm. of myself. It just, I wasn't a fun human to be around. And generally I'm a pretty fun, enthusiastic (laughs) human when I'm feeling when I'm in my more well space. And that really prompted the, the digging into burnout and career longevity and how to help people through this experience. So I shifted around my dissertation topic a little bit and focused on people who had experienced burnout in the field I was working in, which is fraternity sorority advising on a college campus. And those that had sustained their career for a long time had an experience with burnout and interviewed them about what they did to overcome these feelings and these sensations so that they could continue in their career in a happy, healthy space. And that created the model that I use today with clients and that I teach people through through speaking and through authoring and all of those kinds of things. And I use it myself and have found that my health and well-being is completely different in using that approach than it was when I was in the space where I was just simply trying to avoid burnout. Right. You know, burnout is quite common, um, unfortunately, especially in like caregiver roles as well. And we're actually, Mm -hmm. we are learning to talk about it a little bit more, I think. Um, And some people call it like compassion fatigue. Mm -hmm. So, but you talk about different things. You talk about burnout versus burn events. So are these the same thing as compassion fatigue? And what is the difference between those? I think burn events is probably very similar to compassion fatigue in that, so burn events are are daily or weekly. They're they're one-time occurrences. They may not happen at one one time. They can continue to happen over and over again, but it's, it's basically an event that leads you to feel fatigued, emotionally drained, or overwhelmed. And these, these happen throughout our day, throughout our week, throughout our year. A lot of them are things that we can look to the calendar and identify that they're coming up. And we know that that event or that activity or that human interaction is going to leave us with some fatigue, or it's going to emotionally drain us, or it's just going to take a lot of our energy to be a part of that. So we can plan for that in different ways, recover from that in different ways. Burnout is when we don't recover from these burn events as they are occurring and they compound upon each other and they create the snowball effect that leads to burnout, which is more identified by the feeling of as though the activity is a burden, Mm. that it's unmanageable. And so waking up with that feeling of, I just don't even know how to get started on this and at extreme emotional fatigue And that it was something that used to be joyful for you. It used to bring you joy. And now you just aren't finding that same connection or passion or joy in that experience. So I think compassion fatigue is 
maybe somewhere in between these two Mm -hmm. on, on the scale of burnout in that it's not, it's not quite a burn event, but I think it's a little further down the line than full on burnout. But if you don't think about your fatigue and that emotional drain, you can get to burnout pretty quickly. Okay. And is this, is it, is burnout or burn events, are they typically job related? I mean, we talk about burnout a lot around jobs, but can it be anything? They can be anything for, it can be a family interaction. Mm -hmm. It could be travel for some people. It could be attending a conference or doing something that is maybe a little outside of your comfort zone, trying something new. It can be a circumstance. Um, it could be traffic to be honest. So there are so many different ways that these actually show up in our life. And part of the piece of the model that I teach is, is identifying them. So you can name them as a burn event and then implement preparation and recovery for them. So it's more like just that when, yeah, when you're not adapting to them or managing Mm -hmm. them, then it compounds into full on, like, okay, I can't manage. Yes. Okay. And so (laughs) Why, why do we experience burnout? Like, is this a self, a self-regulation problem? Is it a boundary problem? Is it just like stress? Um, or is it all of that? Like, why do we have these, this experience? I think it's, I think it's all of that. I, I really look at, at burnout and burn events as part of our human condition, part of our human experience. And so Rather than thinking of it as something that can be avoided simply through our own wellness practice, really considering that this, like emotions, mm-hmm. experience and embrace and feel all of the things, even the ones we don't necessarily want to. And so thinking about burnout in, in that way, I think is, is helpful because then it's, it's, it's a part of life. And so we don't tack on that feeling of shame that comes along with it when we experience it. So burn events are, I mean, they're inevitable. We all have things that are going to stress us out and be difficult. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and do you think like, do you think the pace of our world affects burnout or how we manage burn events? Because we're so busy and everyone mm-hmm. has like a million things happening yeah. and not managing it very well. <laughs> yeah. I think, you know, I would really say that the societal pressure to Mm. be busy, but not necessarily productive is a huge factor in this, right? So in the field of higher education and student affairs that I I come from, we often play this game of who's the busiest Mm. when we get together in conferences with colleagues and and those kinds of things. So it's a oh, well, I had to work this many hours or I had to be on campus this many hours. And, and we, we work on one upping each other. And when we do that, it becomes this, this negative competition that, that nobody's winning. Yeah. Right. <laughs> like yeah. this is not a game that can be won. And, and we, when we look at our productivity or our value as either a human or within our career space, based on our busyness, we've lost that frame of reference in that productivity and output and what, how much we're able to accomplish as a helper or in those kinds of things. So for me, I would love to see a shift that thinking into 
being more considerate of what is, what is productive and understanding that addressing burn events, addressing our stress, addressing these emotions through self-care practices, through recovery practices is actually a way to be more productive because we're healthier. Mm -hmm. And we definitely have like a hustle, hustle and grind kind of attitude in our culture. And like, you're only valuable if you literally break your back by working so hard. Mm -hmm. So like, yeah, that's, that's, that's not your value is not attached to how long you work, which we miss. I think we really miss that for sure. Yeah. As far as I understand, burnout isn't exactly a diagnosis. Mm -hmm. So what are the consequences of burnout? Like what can happen for us in our health if we get to this, this spot? Yeah. So burnout can actually create physical illness similar to part of burnout is that when you, when you start having that sense of true overwhelm, really feeling as though things are unmanageable, really feeling as though everything is a burden, you, you start to scale back or just lack the energy to implement wellness practices that you may have implemented before. So you may not be as socially engaged as you used to be. And that impacts our, our mental wellness or emotional wellness. It can impact your physical wellness. If that if a group exercise class was something that you used to enjoy, we may scale back on how we're eating or our, you know, how we're moving our body and those kinds of things. And so as we let those wellness practices go, it impacts our ability to be healthy in, in that space. And so, and that can take on a lot of different forms based on the person, but the bottom line is, is that it can actually make us physically ill Mm-hmm. if we don't address our burnout. Yeah. And I think for some people, I talked about the caregiving role mm-hmm. already, um, mm-hmm. or even those caregiving jobs, it's yeah. easy to then like, we, we might know that I think that if we're not careful, it's going to cause a problem. So then we end up like, and it's, I mean, healthcare and practitioners do this a lot too. It's compartmentalized. Mm-hmm. And then you kind of shut down in order to cope. So, and that, I mean, that's not just for healthcare workers, you know, but it can happen at any time. So that's a coping mechanism we do, but is that healthy? Does it catch up with us? Is there a better way to like manage that? I would say that that's a, that's a good coping skill to implement in, in a moment when there is a crisis or you need to immediately Mm -hmm. address your energy needs to be focused on resolving whatever is happening in the space around you and the room around you. What is unhealthy about it is if you never come back to that emotion or a trigger or what you were experiencing in that moment. So I do think that it's important to, whether it's at the end of the day or before you begin your next day, or at some point during that week to come back and reflect on whatever thoughts came up in that moment that you felt the need to shift aside so you could focus on the emergency or the crisis that was at hand. Yeah. Because it it can get real tough to deal with people's suffering or the, the, the struggles people deal with, especially, I mean, you worked in nonprofits, so you're sheltered and things like that. I mean, that can get a lot, right. But then you, you mentioned your, your three-step process earlier Mm -hmm. that leads to recovery. So can you take us through those steps? Cause I think this is really important to hear and understand like that you can actually manage this. 
Sure. So the, the entire, all three of these are really grounded in the practice of, of self-reflection and that can be in a few different ways. So that can be independent self-reflection where it's more internal, maybe you're journaling, maybe you're thinking about it. I'm an external processor. So some of that does occur in having conversations with people and talking to others about how I'm reflecting on those kinds of things. The first phase is observation. So this is where we spend some time looking at a couple of things. You want to reflect on what are some of your known burn events? And I like to do a calendar audit for this. So looking back at my day or the week and naming the the events, activities, or humans that Mm -hmm. caused me stress and emotional drain, because sometimes it is just a a human. (laughs) Like yeah. this, this particular human is yeah. a burn event for me, right? Mm-hmm. And then thinking about, okay, am I going to encounter, am I going to continue to encounter those? Or was this more of kind of a one-off thing that it was just that specific interaction? And can I prepare for this differently in the future? So thinking about those, those known burn events, expected burn events, and then Also identifying your general wellness practices and thinking about it in the aspects of really six areas. So that includes our physical wellness. So what we put into our body, how we sleep, you know, the amount of water we're getting and how we move our body, Mm -hmm. social wellness, which is our interaction with other humans, intellectual wellness is how we're expanding our mind and continuing to learn and grow mental or emotional wellness is how we're taking care of that emotional space. Financial wellness is one that folks don't often think about, but our relationship to money is really important when Mm -hmm. we're thinking about our overall well-being. And then spiritual wellness Mm. um, is the sixth in that. And that is our connection to something greater than ourselves. So a lot of people will that's through religion or prayer, yoga, meditation for a lot of people. It's just, it's a connection to nature and getting out. Um, for me, it's water bodies of water oceans specifically is an important part of my own spiritual wellness. And so thinking about how are you interacting with all six areas and striving to do them all fairly evenly so that you're running on a well-balanced wheel. If Mm. you think about each of them as a spoke of a wheel, you want that to be fairly well balanced. And if any one spoke is not being addressed at any given moment or being addressed a little less than the others, you get that flat tire effect. And so you can, you can go on the flat tire. You can still run on the flat tire, but it's, it's a bit of a wonky drive and it can cause damage. Um, if you continue on it for too long. So reflecting on those two things through the observation phase. So what are your burn events? What known burn events do you have? And how are you looking at your areas of wellness and impacting them within your life? The second phase is preparation. And so that is putting a plan into place for expected known burn events. So looking ahead at your calendar and figuring out, okay, this upcoming week is pretty stressful. I have a lot of meetings or I have a family gathering that I know is going to take a lot out of me. 
what can I do to prepare for that moment so that I am in the best space I can be with my well-being when I go into that week? Do I need to think about my sleep schedule differently? Do I need to think about, you know, meal planning a little bit differently? Do I need to adjust my workout schedule if that's something that is a part of your wellness practice? And then also planning for what your recovery looks like immediately following those events or that week or that space in time. So what are things that you can implement right away as far as recovery and have a plan in place already for those things. Preparation also includes our general preventative care. So just in the same way that we may have a physical exam once a year, I think it's really important that we do some kind of mental health check-in with mm. a professional once a year, a couple times a year. And because we often only think about, oh, I'm going to see a counselor. I'm going to go see my coach, or I'm going to go see my clergy member in, you know, in times that I'm really struggling as opposed to, well, maybe I'll just go and have a checkup and have a check-in. So I think that that preventative care is really important. And then there's the recovery phase and recovery looks different for, for all humans, but it's really thinking about what are things that going, that are going to really recalibrate you following those burn events in that space and time. So allowing you to have one, to have the time to do that. So setting those boundaries so that you can have time to have recovery space. And then thinking about things that will bring you comfort and joy to recover. So I like to have what I call the comfort list. And so these are things that I know I can implement really easily that will bring me comfort, will bring me calm, will bring me joy and help me recover in that space. So some of the things on my comfort list include macaroni and cheese, mm -hmm. uh, play, playing and snuggling with my dog, spending time with my partner, um, watching a Hallmark movie, mm -hmm. you know, sitting out in the sun. So a lot of different things that a lot of them I can implement pretty quickly um, at any given moment. And others I know can take a little more time and space to, to implement that. For example, if I choose to spend a couple of hours on the weekend watching Hallmark movies to recalibrate and planning for those times and space. The other piece of recovery that I think is really important is being playful and adding play to your everyday life. We lose that sense of play at some point as adults and you know, I think it comes along with that hustle mm -hmm. and that need to show how busy we are. If we're being playful, then that somehow looks like we're not being productive when it actually is really productive because it alleviates stress. It helps us be more creative and it recalibrates us into that healthier space to be able to do more productive things, to focus more on, on projects and those kinds of things. Plus it's, it's fun. Yeah. <laughs> it's just fun and it makes you smile. So exactly. Yeah. So I implement play usually through dance parties, mm. um, random dance parties. I have an energy burst playlist that I will just pick a song and I will dance it out to. I also sing to my pets. They're terrible songs, never getting a record deal, but it brings me a lot of joy. It exactly. makes me laugh. It makes my partners laugh. It makes the animals confused. Yeah. So so anything that we can do to just be a little more playful in our lives is also a really great recovery practice. I find that recovery 
when you're in the recovery space, you often shift right back into that observation phase because you start thinking about, okay, I, I encountered some burn events that I wasn't expecting this last time, but I think they could come up again, or I didn't, my plan wasn't quite what I wanted it to be for this burn event. So I can shift how I'm doing that and do that differently. Or, oh, wow, this recovery practice worked really well for me. How can I implement that more on the, on my daily life and prepare and include that more as part of my preparation practice? I love this so much. It's so good. Like just to prevent, you could just prevent so much anguish by just following these steps. And when you're, and I love a, the, the, the observation and preparation part of just when you're, when you feel well mm-hmm. and your, your ground is stable, then you might be better able to adapt. Right. Yeah. I love that. So if we're in the burnout mode, we can, it can be tough. People can get really mm-hmm. sick. And we talked about that. Um, and I, I, a lot of my clients, I see this happening um, and I'm an herbalist, so I use mm-hmm. medicine in that way. But you talked about some of your comfort things that you do. Do you have other rituals that can, that can help in this phase, the recovery phase? I do. So I, I really enjoy utilizing grounding practices, especially when I find myself in a moment of feeling maybe have just experienced a burn event. I'm starting to feel that overwhelm. I'm starting to feel a little more anxious. Maybe my heart rate has increased. And so for me, using a grounding practice is a really great way, a quick and effective way to calm myself in that moment. And, and my favorite one to use is the five, four, three, two, one technique. So just using the space around you, taking a deep breath and then naming five things you can see four things you can touch three things you can hear two things you can smell and one thing you can taste and just honing in on our five senses. And then just feeling the ground underneath my feet and just taking another couple of deep breaths is probably one of the ones that I have found to be the most effective when I start to feel my body amp up Mm -hmm. in, in that sensation. Yeah. That's mindfulness technique that just brings Mm -hmm. you right, like kind of out of your headspace. Like, okay, let's feel the world around me. And then that helps you calm down. I love that one too. I do that with my kids a lot, actually, just to like, (laughs) okay, folks, (laughs) let's take a minute. Um, So before 2020, the world has had a serious mental health crisis and it now it's just kind of grown exponentially. And where I live, we're going through our country, Canada is just going through more shutdowns and craziness. If you could distill health into one simple thing um, that would help, you know, people to stay well, what would you advise people to do? Yeah, I, I really think it's, it's learning yourself and utilizing that self-reflection when you, when you better know yourself and where you're at emotionally, who you are authentically, how your body responds to different things, you can more easily recognize when something's off. So for me, it, you know, I, I definitely am in a, am a person who experiences hanger. So that mm. extreme anger when I haven't eaten and I didn't always know that about myself. And I had 
you know, some, some great friends and colleagues who were kind enough to point out to me that I wasn't a very nice human (laughs) to be around when I hadn't eaten. And I was like, Oh, you're right. (laughs) Not a nice human to be around when I have eaten. (laughs) But now knowing that I, I can feel it coming on and that allows me the ability to remedy that before I become the really unkind human Mm -hmm. to be around. But asking for that feedback, reflecting on that feedback, getting to know yourself and your reactions and what you experience in your body, in your mind and around you when you feel most well helps you better recognize when something is off. Mm. So good. So true. For me, it's sleep. I don't get enough sleep. Everybody watch out. (laughs) Yeah. I I can be the same with sleep too. Yeah. I I really feel like most humans, when we are hungry or tired, we basically turn into our two-year-old selves Mm -hmm. having a tantrum. Mm -hmm. And then when you have the two-year-old at the same time, you you can't both be (laughs) two-year-olds. Yes. (laughs) Well, awesome. Thank you so much, Kate. It was so wonderful to hear your methodology. And this is something I'm going to be doing for myself. Um, where can we find more about you? Yeah. So I am on all social media platforms at Dr. Kate Steiner and certainly can find me on our website, which is liftwellnessconsulting.com. Beautiful. Well, we'll, we will link that up in the show notes so everyone can go and find you. Thank you so much. It was wonderful to have you. Thank you for having me. All right, beautiful people. Thank you so much for listening today. If you feel so inclined, please subscribe, rate, and review this show. For show notes and more information on essential oils, please visit livelovelemon.com forward slash podcast. And we love to know what you're up to and how you're using your essential oils. So head over to Instagram and find us at the Aromatherapist Podcast. My name is Cheryl Witten, and I am your aromatherapist. We have to share with you this obligatory disclaimer. Information in this podcast is for educational purposes only. It is not a replacement for medical advice or for professional aromatherapy consultation. If you need medical care, please visit your physician. Speak to your primary care provider, pharmacist, and a qualified aromatherapist before commencing any programs.